Father, as we come to this last letter, the last part of this last letter to the church of Laodicea, Lord, there's uh, this lukewarm church. There's uh, such a great lesson here for all of us, Lord, the lesson that uh, a lot of times, Lord, you're on the outside and you're knocking, wanting to come in. You're not going to barge your way in. You're not going to force your way in. Lord, that's a choice we have to make. And and it's the most critical choice we can make in our lives because, Lord, if, if you're on the outside, when we pass from this earth, Lord, when you return to this earth, then uh, we're, we're not going to be part of your kingdom. We're not going to be part of your family. And we're not going to see uh, reap the great rewards that you have for all of those who follow you. But, Lord, even as believers, sometimes I think we relegate you to, to a place in our lives that puts you way down the list in priorities, Lord, and, and that's a lesson here for all of us, too. So, Lord, it's a very important text, uh, uh, very important lesson, and I ask that you teach us that lesson by the power of your Holy Spirit. I ask that in the name of Jesus Christ. It's in his name that I pray. Amen. All right, if you turn in your Bibles, we'll be picking up in Revelation, and we'll be in chapter number three, and we're going to kind of go back and review a little bit of what we talked about last week, beginning in verse 14, but, but uh, we'll concentrate mainly on those last few verses in, in chapter number three. I just imagine for a minute that uh, you went to see a friend of yours, and you get to his house, and when you get to his house, his uh, lights are on. It's getting dark, but his lights are on. His car's in the driveway, and you begin to knock. And when you knock, you hear some whispering inside, and yet he doesn't answer the door. And it's almost as if he's saying, you're knocking, but you can't come in. I'm not going to let you in. So you knock some more. And he doesn't let you in. Well, if that was to happen, you would probably have, you might get mad, but at the very least, your feelings would be hurt, wouldn't they? Because, he, because he, hey, man, he knows you're there, but for some reason, he's not opening the door. Well, that little hypothetical situation that I gave you just then sort of reminds me of this symbolic picture that Jesus is going to paint for us here in the book of Revelation in chapter number 3. This picture of him standing at the door of the heart of these Laodiceans, this lukewarm church, and he's knocking, and he's knocking, but they won't let him in. Well, let's talk a little bit about Laodicea and kind of bring us back to where we were or, or when we left off last time. If you remember, we talked about the church at Laodicea, and I told you how it reminds me of or it doesn't remind me, but it represents the church of the very last days. The very last days before the church or before the world enters into the great tribulation. And I think we're living in those days. I don't know, I'm not here to set dates, but I believe we're very, very close to the beginning of the great tribulation, which begins with what? What happens before the, before the great tribulation begins? We, the rapture. And so we're very, very close to the rapture of the church. And this church at Laodicea represents that church that won't be raptured. They will actually go into the great tribulation because they aren't 
truly born-again believers. And they don't just represent that church. I believe they represent every apostate church and every believer in every age, or every false believer in every age. And so it's a very important lesson for us here because I believe there are a lot of people in the world who think they're Christians, who call themselves Christians, who if Jesus returned today, they would not be raptured and they would enter into the great tribulation. And so there's a, there's a big lesson for, for false believers here. Uh, people who think they have their ticket punched, they think they're saved, but what does Jesus say about him here in this, in this, in this passage? Look at verse number 16. He says, so then because you are lukewarm, in other words, you're, you're neither cold nor hot. Man, he says something really strong. He says, I will vomit you out of my mouth. I mean, that's pretty, pretty, pretty strong statement, pretty strong words. I will vomit you out of my mouth. And why will he vomit them out of his mouth? Because look down at verse number 17, because they're wretched, miserable, blind, and naked. I mean, they're in terrible shape. They think they're in great shape. They think they're rich. Their church is rich. Everything's going good in their life. They're prospering. But in Christ's eyes, they are wretched and miserable and blind and naked. Now, you would think as Christ looks at this church and he sees their condition, he'd be done with them. That'd be it. He'd say, there's no hope for you. I'm not, you know, I mean, this is, you come down to church number seven and this is the worst of all the churches. This church is in the worst condition of all. And it seems that there's no hope for them. But he's not done with them. I mean, you know, the grace and mercy and patience of Jesus Christ never ceases to amaze me. It never ceases to amaze me. I mean, it was 40 years of, of rebellion before Christ saved me. And, you know, I, I got to get on myself sometimes because I see people and I say, man, there's no hope for that guy. There's no hope for that girl. Well, in God's eyes, there's still hope. And so you see this church in Laodicea, and it, they couldn't be any worse than they were. And here, here is Christ knocking on their door, and he's still offering them salvation. Look at verse number 18. In verse number 18, he says, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in fire. What's, what's the gold that's refined in fire that he's talking about right there? What's he talking about? He's talking about our Christian faith. He's saying, Buy for yourself real faith. You don't have, have real faith. And how do you get that real faith? Well, it's the kind of faith that's refined in fire. When he's talking about fire, what's he talking about? He's talking about the trials of this life. It's the kind of faith that stands, that's, that, that doesn't fade away or doesn't burn up when the trials come. He's talking about real fire, refined, I mean real faith, refined in fire. And so he says, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire, that you may be rich, and white, and white garments that you may be clothed, that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed, and anoint your eyes with eyesalve so that you may see. So, he, so in verse number 18, he's offering them real salvation. He hasn't given up on them. He's offered them the real thing. And he tells them how to get it. you got to buy something. you got to buy from me gold. And that gold is real faith. Well, well, we talked about this last week. 
how do you buy something that's free? I mean, we've always been told that salvation is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. And it is. So, so how do we have to buy it? Well, first of all, when you buy something, what do you, what do you recognize? You recognize the fact that you have a need. So before you can actually buy gold refined in fire, you have to recognize that you truly have a need. And that's why he says in the last part of verse 18, he says, anoint your eyes with eye salve so that you can see. Look, if you're here today and you call yourself a Christian, yet deep down inside, you know you're not really born again. I mean, I, I say this all the time. If you're born again, you really know it. You know that Christ lives in your heart. If you've got deep, deep doubts about your relationship with Jesus Christ, then let me tell you what you need to do. He tells you what you need to do. Anoint your eyes with eye salve that you may see. Now, what's the eye salve that he's talking about? What's he talking about there? He's talking about the Word of God. He's saying, get into the Word of God. Get into the Word of God, and when you get into the Word of God, the Word of God is going to reveal to you your true spiritual condition. That's why a lot of people don't like studying the Word of God. They don't like getting into the Word of God, because when you get, i got to tell you, when you get into the Word of God, it, it, it's a two-edged sword that cuts to the heart of your soul. It cuts to the marrow of your soul. I mean, it hurts sometimes when you read the Word of God. I mean, I love all the promises of God, and there's some churches you can go to, and all you will hear about are those wonderful promises of God. They're, they're true, and God wants to prosper you. But God also wants to convict you of your condition so that you can truly, truly get saved. And what was their condition? They were miserable and wretched and blind and naked. And how were they going to find that out? The way you find that out is to anoint your eyes with eye salve so that you can see. You get into the Bible and then your eyes begin to open up and you see yourself for who you really are. You see, for, you see God for who he really is. When you see who God really is and who you are, you realize how far you are from the righteousness of God. And you realize how much you need a Savior. So the very first thing you have to do, you have to anoint your eyes with, some, with the Word of God. And then the second thing you have to do, there has to be an exchange. Whenever you buy something, there's an exchange. You have to exchange something. Well, people say, hey, salvation's free. But you still got to be willing to make an exchange. You've got, and we talked about this last week. You've got to exchange your wretchedness, your nakedness, your evil nature, your blindness, your, the, your, your miserable state of your soul for what? For the soul of Jesus Christ. For, and I'll take that back, for the life of Jesus Christ. That's what, a pretty good deal, isn't it? Give up the old George to get the life of Jesus Christ and get the new George? I mean, give up that old miserable, blind, naked, wretched person and get those garments of white, those garments of light that represent the very life of God? You can't get a better deal than that. But the exchange has to be made. Listen, you can believe every word of this Bible you can believe that Jesus died on a cross and that he was resurrected on the third day, but until you're willing to make that exchange, you're not going to get saved. And in order to want to make that exchange, you've got to anoint your eyes with ISAP so that you see your true spiritual condition. Now, he's told them how to get saved, and he implores them to take action. And here's where we pick up, uh, and this is where 
we left off last time, verse number 19. Listen to what he says. As many as I love, as many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Therefore, watch this, church, be zealous and repent. As many as I love. Let me ask you a question. How many does he love? All of them. How many of those Laodiceans did he love? Every single one of them. Even though they were lukewarm, even though he was ready to vomit them out of his mouth, he loved every single one of them, just as he loves every single person in this room. He says, as many as I love, God, for God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. But as many as I love, I rebuke. I rebuke. What's he mean, I rebuke? I tell it like it is. I will t- if you'll let me, I'll tell you the sorry state of your condition if you don't get saved. If, I'll, I, if you'll get into this word and anoint your eyes, I will tell you just how you will see just how terrible you really are outside of a true relationship with Jesus Christ. And not only does he rebuke those people who aren't truly born again, who say they're born again, he chastens those people. And he'll do whatever it takes. He'll whip you as hard as it takes to get you to come to Jesus Christ. He whipped me pretty doggone hard before I finally said uncle. And he'll do that for you too. But he does that, why? As many as I love. He does that because he loves you. That's why he chases you. Do you know what the great tribulation is all about? The great tribulation is all, some people say it's all about punishing the wicked and God's wrath upon the wicked. Let me tell you what. You know how long it would take God to punish the wicked if he wanted to? A millisecond. And they would all be gone. And they would all be in hell and they'd be punished forever. Why does he go seven years? You know why he goes seven years? To save this apostate church. To save these false believers who enter into the great tribulation, who aren't raptured, who are left here, and hopefully they've got enough of the gospel that they'll finally say uncle, and they'll, when they see all the terrible things going on in this, on this earth, they'll finally say uncle, and they'll turn to the Lord. Now that's one of the main reasons. The other main reason is that he's going to bring Israel to the point that they're ready to receive their Messiah. And they will look on whom, that he will pour out his spirit on them, and they'll look on him whom they pierced, and they'll mourn as a mother mourns for her firstborn child. That's all going to happen. But that's his chastening. His chastening is all done in love. I mean, does that mean because God's going to chasten people during their lives, he's going to send storms and hurricanes and, and, and uh, wars and rumors of wars and earthquakes and all of these things, does that mean everybody's going to get saved? No. Now, he's going to chasten this whole world and try to get them saved. You know, it's amazing to me, when we, you will see this when we get later, uh, as we go in more depth into the book of Revelation, we'll see this, the more he seems to pour out these terrible things upon the world, the more they seem to harden their hearts. And the more they seem to hate God, and it comes to the point where they say, let the rocks fall on us. We would rather the rocks fall on us and die and end this thing than to give our lives to the Lord, to have this man, Jesus Christ, rule upon us. And I got to believe that most of these Laodiceans, most of them, didn't get saved. They didn't make it into the kingdom of God. 
But that didn't keep Jesus from trying to get them into the kingdom of God. There's people in this room right here that won't make it to heaven. I guarantee you the, the odds are that some of you are not going to make it to heaven. But that's not going to keep Jesus from trying to get you there. That's why you're here today. He's he got you here today to, to listen to this word and hopefully at some point if you don't lock that door to where he can't get in, you're going to let him in and you're going to enter into the kind of life he wants you to truly have, eternal life in him. So Jesus hasn't, get, even, though, even though, hey, most of these people didn't make it. Listen to what he says in, in verse number 19, that last part. He says, I've rebuked you and I've chastened you. I'm going to rebuke you and I'm going to chasten you more. Repent. So he could have just as well said, say uncle. Repent. What's repent mean? It simply means turn around. Turn from the things of this evil, things of this world, from the wickedness of this world, from the wickedness of your own nature, and turn to me. Be zealous and repent. What's the opposite of lukewarm? Zealous. It's exactly what it is. I said last week, there are three kinds of people in the world. I want you to get this straight here today. There's three kinds of people in this world. There are those who are hot on fire for Jesus Christ. Those are the true believers. There are those who are cold. They don't want anything to do with Jesus Christ. They can't stand Jesus Christ. They hate Jesus Christ. And then the third kind of people in this world are lukewarm people. People who say they're saved, but they're not saved. And that's why Jesus, if you look back at verse number 15, he implies that I would rather you be cold than lukewarm. Why is that? Why would he imply that he would rather you be cold? I mean, he'd rather you hate him than to be lukewarm. You know why? Because it's a lot harder to save somebody who's lukewarm than it is to save somebody who's cold. Because people who are lukewarm are blind, but they think they see. And so he says to them, he says, be zealous. Be zealous. Now, let me ask you a question. Do you get saved by being zealous? No, you get zealous because you're saved. But he says, be zealous. And how do you get saved? I mean, how do you get zealous? You get zealous by repenting. You know, that's a choice that every believer and every unbeliever makes Every single day. You can be zealous for this world and the things of this world. And I'm talking about, when I'm talking about this world, I'm talking about this world that's against God. This anti-Christ world, this world system that hates God. This humanistic, materialistic, uh, uh, paganistic society that hates God. You can either be zealous for that or you can be zealous for for the Lord, and that's a choice we make every single day. But I got to tell you something. You measure your life, and if for the most part every single day you're more zealous for the world than you are for Jesus Christ, you might have a very serious problem. You might very well be lukewarm. You very well might be lost, because remember what John said in, in, in 1 John chapter 2, verse 15. He says, do not love the world or the things of the world. He who loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. 
I mean, if you're zealous for this world, if you're worldly, now I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna, that's not my job to tell anybody in here whether you're worldly or not. But you better make that, take inventory of yourself. And if you live for this world, and you have no fire for Jesus Christ, all your zeal is for the things of this world. Be careful. You very well might not be born again, and you might be lukewarm. And again, I've said this last week, and I said it the week before. I'm not saying these things. We're reading it out of the Bible. But I'm not here judging you. But I think what these seven letters have done for me Each letter has spoken to me. There's something in that letter that convicts me, that shows me where I fall short, that says to me, I better work out my own salvation with fear and trembling. To make sure that God is doing, we don't don't save ourselves, but I want to be sure that God is doing a work in me. And we can only be zealous when we've truly turned from the world and we've turned to Jesus Christ. And, you know, how can you really be saved? How can you really know the Lord and not be passionate about the Lord? I mean, you understand who the Lord is. He's the King of kings and Lord of lords. He's almighty God. He's the great amen we looked at last week. He's the great I am. He's the Alpha, the Omega, the first, the last. He hung on a cross for you and I. I mean, uh, let me ask you a question. We'll go home today and we'll watch. I'm not going to watch them because I'm fed up with them. But some of you are going to go home and you're going to watch the saints. And and I'm going to ask you a question. How many of those players on that team have died for you? How many of them have died for you? God. How many of them, let me ask you another question. Cecil, I don't need your answer. <laughs> let me ask you another question. How many of them would die for you? How many of them? Zero. None of them would die for you. Christ has died for you. What movie actor would die for you? None of them. And we have a zeal for all of these things, for movies and football and all the things of the world and not for the Lord. There's something wrong with that. You know, and then I run into Christians all the time. They have a zeal for the Lord, but they hide it. They don't want anybody to know about that. I mean, they're afraid if they act zealously, but, you know, for the Lord, then, then, then somebody's going to call them a Jesus freak. Or somebody's going to call them a fundamentalist because they believe in the Bible. They talk about the Bible, oh, that's a fundamentalist. Or that you're a Bible thumper. You know, it's amazing to me that people who go to the Saints game today and they'll color their faces in black and gold and wear goofy hats and, and scream all sorts of things like, like it's the end of the world and I'm going to say, love this team as long as they're winning. And they're going to they're scream and yell and do all sorts of things. And what do we call them? A fan. A fan. What do they call somebody who loves the Lord and talks about the Lord and carries their Bible around with them? What do they call They call them a fanatic, a fan addict. Hey, go ahead and make my day. 
Call me a fanatic, because that's what I am. Go ahead and make my day. Call me a Jesus freak. Call me a fundamentalist. I am a fundamentalist. Because I believe in every word of this Bible, and I, so I believe in the fundamentals of this Bible. That, if that makes me a fundamentalist, then so be it. So, you know, we should never be ashamed. You know, Jesus gives a warning about that. He who's ashamed of me, you know, who lives his life ashamed of me and calls himself a Christian, one day I'll be ashamed of them. Man, one day, one day, the Lord is going to be on his throne in glory. And everybody's going to be a fanatic then. They're going to see him as he truly is. And every knee will bow. And every tongue confess that he is God Almighty. Well, shame on us if we're not willing to do that now. We don't have to push our faith on other people. That's not what I'm talking about. But I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ because it's the power of God and the salvation for those who believe. And I'm not ashamed of the Savior who gives us that gospel. And neither should none of us be. Now, if you're here today and you're not saved, you're here today and maybe you're lukewarm, the Lord still hasn't given up on you. And given up on you. Look what he says to these. It's amazing to me. Look what he says in verse number 20 to these Laodiceans. He says, behold. Pay attention. Behold, he says, pay attention. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him. Get this? Let me ask you if this is going on in your life. And I will dine with him. I will dine with him. And that person will dine with me. Man, I got to tell you what, I've heard a lot of invitations in my life, but that's the greatest invitation ever given. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and dine with him. And he will dine with me. You hear the heart of the Lord? I mean, he's at the door of your heart, and he's knocking. And he says, all you've got to do is to open the door, and I will come in, and I will dine with you, and you will dine with me. The king of kings now, the Lord of lords, the Lord of glory, he wants to come into your heart. I'm talking about it in a real way. I'm talking about it in a way where you talk with him and you walk with him. As Paul says, you pray without ceasing. No, you know, I used to think, what in the world? Pray without ceasing? I mean, I would never get out of my closet. That's not what he's talking about. It's recognizing the fact that you're in fellowship with the living God. That the person of the living God is living in you. And so he stands at the door and knocks. But he says to these Laodiceans, you claim to know me. You claim to be a Christian. But I'm on the outside knocking. I'm on the outside knocking. Is Jesus inside your heart? Are you dining with him? Is he dining with you? Or is he on the outside knocking? 
And he says to these Laodiceans, you've shut me out. You've shut me out. You hear the knock, but I can't come in. All you got to do is open the door, and I will come in. Now let me tell you something about Jesus that you probably already know. He's not going to force his way in. He's only going to come in if you invite him in. I had a friend of mine in, when I was in high school who was really obnoxious. We played in a band together. He was a drummer. You know how drummers are. <laughs> and he would come to my house all the time. We were good buddies. And he would come to my house. I don't care what time of day it was. And he would just walk in. He wouldn't knock. And it would make my mom furious. And I told this guy, I said, look, man, you got to get some manners. What you're doing is rude. you you got to knock before you come in. Next time he came, he walked right in. <laughs> Jesus didn't like that. He's a gentleman. And he's given every person in this world their own freedom. And he's not going to barge in. He's only going to come in if we let him in. And every person in this world has heard him knocking. We've all heard him knocking. These Laodiceans heard him knocking. Those lost people there in Laodicea had heard him knocking. The true Christians at one time had heard him knocking. He's always knocking. But most people won't let him in. You know, it's funny how you see things differently after you truly get saved. But you see a beautiful sunset. A beautiful sunset. Paints the whole sky up. He's knocking. He's knocking. A rainbow comes flowing through the clouds. It's the Lord knocking. Newborn babies. Newborn babies. You look at a little newborn baby. The Lord knocking. You know, when we sin, when we do something terrible, even before we were saved, I mean, think about when you weren't saved and you did something terrible. Did, you, did that bother you? Yeah, it bothered you. To some degree, to you, sear your conscience, it bothers you. You know why it bothers you? Because there's a God and he's given you a conscience and he's given you a code. Now, what code is that? That's his code, his law. It's the Lord knocking. You face some terrible disaster, and you're, you don't know what to do. You're unsaved. You don't know what to do. And you hear the Lord knocking. The Lord says, let me in. And I'll help you through this. I don't know how many times I've seen people who've had something really terrible or a set of terrible circumstances happen in their life. And they hear the, they hear the knock. And they start coming to church. And God seems to work them out of those circumstances and then they're gone. We had a lady when we were living in Las Vegas. And... She was a co-worker of Brenda's and her son was at a party with some guys and they were all drinking and 
they were playing with guns. And one of the kids shot him point blank in the head. And they took him, put him in the car, drove him to her house, and dumped him on the front porch in a coma. She called Brenda. Brenda had a chance to minister to her. We had, the church had pastors go out there to minister to her. She started coming to church. The boy died. But she heard the knock. But after the grief was over, after time had passed, she was gone and she never opened the door. She never opened the door. And I maybe could understand her being bitter or something like that. God was just crying out to her, open the door. And I will dine with you and you will dine with me. You know, there will not be a single soul in hell who can say they never heard Jesus knocking at their door. He's knocked on everybody's door. You look at some of the most evil men in this world. You look at men like Lenin and Marx and Hitler and Charles Darwin. Some people think he's a hero. I think he's an evil, evil man. But those people started out as religious people. They heard the knock. They heard the knock, and then one day they said, you're not coming in. And they padlocked the door to their heart, and Jesus left and never came back. And where did they fall? They fell into the abyss of darkness and wickedness. And that happens to every soul that keeps rejecting Jesus Christ. That people won't be in hell because Jesus put them in hell. He, they will be in hell because they chose to be in hell. You know, and I think lukewarm Christians are, you know, maybe the worst because they know the gospel. They hear the gospel. They, get, they carry their Bibles around. They come to church. But they treat Jesus like the UPS delivery man. I mean, I love the UPS delivery man. I never see him. But every time I hear the knock on the door, I see his truck out there. I know there's some goodie out there my wife's bought for me. I'm hoping that's what it is. Sometimes it's not. Usually it's something she's bought for herself. I'm teasing. That was a joke. But we get all excited about the UPS delivery man coming, but it wouldn't dawn on us to invite him into the house because we don't care about him. We care about what he's brought. And there are a lot of people who want eternal life. And they want to live in heaven. And they want blessings and they want healings and they want mansions in heaven. But they don't want him. They don't want him. And so they miss out on real salvation. Which is the very best part of life. It's the very best part of life. A real intimate relationship with Jesus Christ is the very best part of life. And he offers that to anyone who will just open the door. Look at the last part of verse 20 again. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come to him and dine with him and he 
with me. Now, this has special meaning in a Middle Eastern culture. I can tell you right now. Because the most revered event, um, there's not a more revered event than a dinner with an honored guest. They took that very, very seriously. The intention of that meal was to bind the host and the guests into a lasting and great friendship. That was the intention of the meal. But I'll, this was also true in the Middle Eastern country. There wasn't anything more insulting to a Middle Easterner than you, for you to snub an invitation to dinner. In doing so, you offended the person who invited you, and you made them your everlasting enemy. And that's the picture that Jesus is trying to paint for us here. Oh, open the door. Open the door. That's the invitation. And I'll come in. And I will dine with you, and you will dine with me. And yeah, you'll have real faith. And yeah, it'll be tested by fire. It'll be refined by that fire, though. And it'll be more precious to you than gold. That's the invitation. But you reject the King of kings and Lord of lords. You understand the offense that you're committing. You're offending God Almighty. And you're becoming his enemy. You know, it's really interesting here that the Greek word here for dine, looking back here at the last part of verse 20, the Greek word for dine is the word for the last meal before it got dark. The last, they ate their last meal just before it got dark, the last meal of the day. You see what Jesus was saying, these Laodiceans? It's getting late. It's getting really late. Not wasn't just saying to them, this to them, he was saying it to all apostate believers. All people who say they're saved and aren't truly aren't saved. You're running out of time to repent. This could be your last chance to repent. Be zealous. And open the door before it gets too late. You know, you would think, I said earlier, you would think as you look at this Laodicean church that Jesus would have just been done with them. Spit them out of your mouth and I'm done with you. Vomit you out of my mouth, I'm done with you. But he, he doesn't say that. He keeps knocking. He keeps begging them. To, he keeps gently knocking. And, he's, and by his knock, he's begging them to open the door so that they can have a real relationship with God. And he doesn't just say, well, you're going to get in by the skin of your teeth. If you'll just open the door, you're going to get in by the skin of your teeth. No, he promised them. Look at the rewards he promised them. Look at verse 21. To him who overcomes. Let me ask you a question. Let's stop right there for a second. How, in the context we're looking at, how do you overcome? Very simply, open the door. You open the door to Jesus Christ. 
You overcome by the blood, but when you open the door, you're opening, opening the door to the one who shed his blood for you, who died on a cross for you, and you're opening that door so that you can get forgiveness of sins. You're opening that door to the one who shed his blood that cleanses you from all unrighteousness. You're opening the door to our king, the one who wants to be our father, the one who wants to be our friend. And if we open that door, look what he promises there. We're going to rule and reign with them forever. The Laodiceans, these crummy old Laodiceans, he says to them, hey, just open the door. Let me in and dine with me and I'll dine with you and you will rule and reign with me forever. I will grant, look at the last part, the verse 21, I will grant to sit with him, with me, on my throne. Now all, however millions of Christians are, are going to get sit right there on his throne. Uh, this is a figure of speech. You will have a seat in his government, is what he's saying right there. As I also overcame, how did he overcome? He overcame by the cross. He overcame by shedding his blood. He overcame by the resurrection. We're going to overcome by his blood and by his resurrected life. We're resurrected to new life. But if you're resurrected to new life, I will grant you to sit with me on my throne as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. And if you're here today and say, well, you know, man, I've just gone... There's no way God can use me in this world. There's no way I've, he's got a plan for my future and eternity. I've just done too many bad things. Hey, it doesn't matter what you've done. When you are saved, your sins are cast as far as the east is from the west. You're, you're totally cleansed. You're perfected forever in Jesus Christ. And there's a parable that Jesus gave, remember, about the workers? And the workers that came at the very end got the same pay as the workers that came at the very beginning. And so if you'll just turn your life to God right now, God's got a great plan for your life. And he's knocking. He's knocking. And all you have to do is open the door, and he will fellowship with you, and you will fellowship with him. You will live in an intimate relationship with him. He'll forgive you of all your sins. He'll give you life. He will give you the kind of life that makes you hate sin and love righteousness. The kind of life that gives you a zeal for the Lord. The Lord will become the most important thing in your life. And all you got to do is let him in. And you will have eternal life. Why wouldn't anybody open the door? He's knocking. How long is he going to knock? As long as it takes. But if in his foreknowledge he knows that you're never going to open that door, you're going to padlock that door and you're never going to let him in, at some point, silence. Wow, I wouldn't want to be in that position. You won't hear God knocking at your door. And just before it gets dark, he'll give up on you. And you'll fall into the deepest abyss of evil there is.
You're either walking in light or you're walking in darkness. You reject Jesus Christ, you're going to fall into the abyss. In this life and in the life to come forever. So right on cue, he finishes in verse 22 and he says, He who has an ear, please let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. You know, I know what some of you are thinking at this point. Laodicea, not me. I've heard the knock. I've opened the door. I've invited Jesus Christ into my life. And one day, I'm going to rule and reign with him. That might be true. But there's still application in this passage for every single person in this room. I think there's a special application for this passage to every true believer. We've opened the door. We're saved. We've Jesus has come in to dine with us. But you know what the problem is? We've left the door open. We've left the door open to all sorts of other characters. The Bible calls them the cares of this world. And we've made the cares of this world our most honored gift. And we've relegated Jesus Christ, the King of kings and Lord of lords, to some dark corner in our hearts. And every once in a while when we're in trouble, we, we go over in the corner to talk to him. When we have some great need, we go over to the corner and we, we talk to him. Friends, we're no better than Laodiceans when we do that. No better. What's the solution for such a condition? It's the same solution as it was for the Laodiceans. It's simple. Repent. Repent. And be zealous for the Lord. Be zealous for your most honored guest. You are the tabernacle of Jesus Christ. The King of kings. The Lord of lords. The everlasting God. The one who is worthy of all our attention. Both now and forever. And I'll tell you what, until you take him out of that corner... And make him first in your life. You're going you're gonna to live a rough life. You're going to be a Christian. But you, there will be times where you seem, when, when it seems like you're all alone. You're going to go through things. That, you wonder why other people aren't going through them. You're going to go through them. Because God's trying to get you to get him out of the corner. And make him first. Life's a lot easier. There's a lot more joy 
And there's a lot more peace when we make the king of kings, king of kings in our hearts. He's knocking. Are you listening? Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we just thank you for your word. We thank you for the conviction you give us through these texts, Lord. All of us have neglected our relationship with you. We are so blessed, Lord, to have your presence in our lives, in our hearts, in our souls. Shame on us, Lord, if we've relegated you below any other thing in our heart, Lord. You truly are worthy of all honor and all glory and all attention. Help us to become zealots, Lord. Fundamentalists, fanatics, freaks, whatever people want to call us. Help us have a serious, serious zeal for you. Lord, we want that powerful life that only comes when we have that kind of relationship. Through the blood of Jesus Christ, by his spirit, we pray in his precious name. Amen.